Welcome to Sisters Inc., our podcast for and about women entrepreneurs, brought to you by Black Enterprise. I'm your host, Elisa Gumps. Black women are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in America. And on every episode of Sisters Inc., we sit down with one successful CEO and share how she slays the challenges of being a Black woman in business. Today's episode is all about fighting for equity. We're chatting with Mandy Price, co-founder of Canaries, the first Black and female-founded technology platform for optimizing diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in the workplace. Welcome to Sisters Inc., Mandy, and thanks so much for sitting down with us. Thanks so much for having me, Elisa. So your company is designed to serve as a metaphorical canary in a coal mine, an early warning sign for diversity and equity issues in the workplace. Tell us exactly what Canaries does. Yeah, sure. So what we do is we help companies really approach diversity, equity, inclusion like they do every other business priority. I'm sure that people um, have, have been at workplaces where they may have participated in a unconscious bias training or, or other initiatives, which are important, so we don't want to minimize those. But what we see is a lot of times that companies may do kind of a one and done when it comes to DEI. And we know that diversity, equity, inclusion has to be a long-term strategy. And so what we do is we equip them with software, data, and benchmarking tools so that they can ensure that they're measuring the effectiveness of their strategy that they are actually including their employees in that DEI strategy so they understand the lived experiences of their employees and the challenges that they're facing in the workplace. And then we also um, help them really think about these issues from a systemic and institutional standpoint. How can we ensure that the policies, the practices, the way the organization is operating is equipped to promote inclusion and equity? And so we do that through a variety of ways. Uh, We do assessments with employees so we understand their challenges in the workplace. We do audits of their systems, practices, and procedures. And then we also provide them with a recommendation plan and a roadmap so that they can begin to implement uh, DI best practices in their organization. Canaries was founded in response to the inequities that you and your co-founders personally experienced in the workplace. What was your professional journey before you started the company? And what are some of the things that you experienced that made you passionate about making a change in corporate America? So I experienced lots of challenges that are not uncommon for Black women. Um, You know, sometimes when I start talking about my experiences. I get a flurry of LinkedIn messages or emails saying that happened to me too. And I said, I know it's happened to millions of us. And we are working and doing this work to ensure that it doesn't happen to our daughters in the next generation. Um, so there's so many incidences that it's, it, you know, we'd be here all day <laughs> if I went through all of them. But I can tell you some of them, you know, uh, when I was more junior. So I was an attorney before. So I practiced for 12 years as an attorney. And when I was more junior in my career, I felt that some of the things that were happening was because maybe I wasn't experienced enough or I did, you know, I was still learning my craft. But even as a partner, you know, I became a partner at a law firm. I still experience these microaggressions and some of the things that um, are commonplace for Black women to experience in the workplace. So, you know, I can recall one incident in particular where I was at a recruiting event. And um, at this point, I wasn't a partner, but a partner at the firm came up and in front of recruits, 
made a joke asking me if I'd gotten into Harvard legitimately. And so I just kind of was frozen in the moment because it was a public event. There were a lot of people there. Um, the next day I did go and confront that person and talk to them about how inappropriate that was. But like I said, even as a partner, these things happened. I remember being in a meeting with a client and um, a fellow partner referred to me as the firm's diverse partner. Um, and so, you know, there were so many incidences like that. And then over time, I, I started to normalize them. You know, it became like, this is just what it's like to practice as a black woman. Um, and the fact that I started to normalize them and I wouldn't go and tell my husband or family members, I was just kind of keeping it moving, um, started to scare me because I don't, I didn't want us to normalize or think that that is just how things have to be. The workplace doesn't have to be that way. Um, and so the work we do at Canaries is, you know, let's stop the focus on fixing women or fixing black women or black people because we know that talent resides in everyone. Um, and we really need to start the focus on our systems and our structures and what is it, why only certain talent and certain individuals are able to rise through the top of those systems. You're right, we could be here all day. And as, as of course you were telling those stories, I'm nodding my head because we're all familiar with them. And you know, I love the fact that you decided to act when you were like, I'm just absorbing too much of this, like, I, and, and it shouldn't be normal. Um, but a lot of people choose when, when they come to that realization to stay in corporate America and fight from within. Um, why did you choose to make the leap into becoming an entrepreneur? I think a lot of the motivation was my children. So um, I think when you have young children, maybe it's not the best time to be an entrepreneur because you have a lot of obligations and the uncertainty of income. You know, we went two and a half years without having any income. But, you know, when I would sit there and think about helping my children navigate these systems, I didn't want to teach them those same survival skills. You know, I remember one of the moments um, I had worked with an individual I'd never worked before. And I knew, I knew all the things that I were going to have to do because this person was going to come back and say that I wrote this wrong or did this wrong. And so I had done all this prep work um, just for my years of practice of knowing. So I got some precedent from the firm's corporate head, right, uh, of that department. So that then when that person came back, which I knew they would, um, and said, you know, they had all these concerns about what I had written. And, you know, I, I politely said, you know, please share this with X person, because this is their precedent document, they need to know that there's all these things wrong. And then of course, the person backtracking is like, well, no, I didn't realize that, that came from such and such. And, you know, no, actually, this is all okay. And the idea of having to teach my daughter those things of how to prepare herself, how to make sure that uh, she covers every base and make sure that, um, that these things are going to happen, no matter how well prepared that you have to have these kind of things in your backup pocket um, was exhausting and just draining. And I didn't want them to have those same experiences. And so that was kind of some of the breaking points, just thinking about 
you know, a lot of the mentorship and training that I had received, which was helpful. That's how I knew to do these things. Right. But the idea of having to continuously pass down those types of skills uh, was just something that I couldn't bear. And I, at that point, kind of dedicated myself to the work of let's, let's really think about how to change these systems because the things that I'm experiencing, I knew wasn't just at my law firm. I talked to classmates of mine from, from, uh, from law school, they were experiencing the exact same things. And how do we fundamentally change the systems? You mentioned that you had young children at the time that you went for two and a half years without income. Was that a scary leap for you into entrepreneurship? It's very scary. Um, you know, at the time, my kids were three and one. Um, and so the idea of not knowing how we were going to care for them, you know, one of the great things is that my husband, uh, when I talked to him about wanting to start the company, um, he was on board and we started the company together, but that also meant we had absolutely no income coming into the household because we started the company together. Um, and so it was very, very scary, but we felt so compelled to do the work. You know, I think one of the things that was also very scary is, you know, not only did we put our savings and, um, you know, our, our kind of life work into this, but my dad did the same thing. You know, he emptied out his 401k to invest in our business so that we could uh, build our first MVP and do, uh, you know, it's so difficult for black women to raise money. And especially when you're doing an enterprise SaaS company, you can't sell something unless something's built. And so um, knowing that not only was I risking our savings and the life we had kind of worked for, for our children, but the same thing as far as with my father uh, and my parents' future, it was, it was very, very scary. So over the years, there have been a lot of different ways that people have tried to tackle the diversity issue um, of all of the ways to do it. Why did you choose to start a tech company? So when I was practicing law, I was on my law firm's diversity committee and on the women's task force. And so I had kind of firsthand view of how organizations were approaching diversity, equity, inclusion issues. And that's where I saw that, you know, there, there may be the greatest of intentions. And I uh, think many companies, uh, and especially most DI professionals and HR professionals are very well attended, but they didn't have the data and the resources to really move it forward. And, you know, I, I saw that the way that um, C-suite executives really respond to data and so our focus early on was how do we use data to really amplify the voices? Because we know the stories, we know the challenges. You know, there's never uh, a black professional that I talk to where I talk about my experiences where they can't relate because we've all been through it. But it's still, there's, there was a lack of awareness. And this is four years ago. I think now, especially with everything that happened with George Floyd, and uh, kind of the corporate awakening around systemic racism and DEI, that we're seeing something different from companies. But this has been going on for decades, right? Our experiences aren't something that just happened recently, that this, these experiences kind of uh, span the gamut for decades. 
And how do we bring that to life where it's not viewed as Mandy is difficult or Lisa is just difficult or this, this is an isolated incident? How do we use the data to really show the systemic nature of the problem and the issue? And so from the very beginning, the focus was how do we create a safe and anonymous way for people to provide this feedback, knowing that they're the only. Um, and so our entire way we structured the company, entire way we collect data was around providing that safe space that was anonymous that protected those individuals um, while providing the data that could not be discounted by the leadership of organizations. And so uh, we've continued, you know, there's been things within any company where you're going to make pivots and tweaks, but the heart and soul of how do we provide the data that can't be disputed or um, uh, discounted in a way for people to feel safe um, has been the heart and soul of the company since, since we founded. And so that really, really was the genesis because of our own experiences of knowing being in our own ERGs, that kind of information people would share that they did not share um, in town halls. You know, and I've seen a lot of companies have town halls and they're, they're worthwhile. I don't want to discount those either, but we got to create a safe way for people to share their experiences without receiving that retaliation. I'm so glad that you mentioned George Floyd and what the corporate environment has been like over the last year, um, because there's been so much focus. I mean, an unprecedented amount of focus on DEI efforts. What has the last year been like for the company? So the last year has been <laughs> tremendous, you know, and, it, and it's, and it's, you know, it's, it's horrible and horrendous that it takes someone's death to get people to understand and focus and, and really uh, take the issue seriously. Um, but, you know, when we talk about the last year of Canaries, even though the company is three and a half years old, like I said, almost four years. Um, and we've been talking about these issues in the sense of how do we address this from a systemic and institutional standpoint? There's not a pipeline problem. You know, DEI um, organizations have always talked about, well, we can't find the talent. It's a pipeline problem. We always have believed it's not a, it's not a pipeline issue. And so the way we talked about these issues around how do we measure inclusion and equity and how do we address systemic and institutional racism and equities within your organization, people really weren't talking about that at a grand scale three years ago. And so when we would talk to companies, they would kind of look at us like, what are you talking about? We don't have those issues. When we talk to investors, no one was interested in investing in the company because they did not believe that there was a market for what we were trying to do. So when we think about within the last year um, and really, I guess the last 14 months is when we've seen tremendous growth with respect to clients coming on our platform. Uh, we raised our seed round. We raised $3 million seed round um, as far as being able to really grow and scale our team. Um, and I don't think any of those things would have happened without the awakening around uh, social, just, social justice issues, the Black Lives Matter movement, and people understanding because of the pandemic as well, that absolutely the way things are structured um, can have an effect on certain commit communities disproportionately. So I think the whole idea of the systemic effects 
um, uh, really began to awake in the consciousness of the entire public. One could say that there's never been a better time to be in the business of diversity um, than right now. So from a strategic standpoint or a logistical standpoint, how have you positioned the company to best take advantage of some of the opportunities that corporate America has been developing over the last year? So I would say we, we structured the company almost four years ago, and it's kind of the public is catching up to us. You know, we see so many people building the technology or trying to track these metrics where these are things that we always knew were critical. And so I think we were well positioned in the sense of we had already built out the technology. We had already been collecting the data that helped the organizations do this type of benchmarking and really help them to be able to guide them on how to develop long-term DI strategies that really do take into account a lot of the things that we've been preaching all the time. Sometimes I say, I feel like I was speaking another language and all of a sudden people started understanding, you know? And so that's the way our team really feels is that we have been saying this for a long time. And, and many people have been saying this for a long time. I don't want to make it seem like we're the only ones, you know, there's been many people that have been sounding the alarm on, Hey, having a speaker once a year on DEI isn't going to move the needle. We got to do it differently. And I think for so long, DEI practitioners and professionals have been hamstrung by not having the budgets, the resources, and um, that true long-term commitment from the way that we're seeing organizations approach it now, where the board's involved, where their shareholders are involved, that people are saying, hey, this is important. And so I think we are just uh, really fortunate that we had done that front work and that now that DEI is getting that support that it should have had all along in terms of budget and resources. You mentioned that the past year has been tremendous for the company. And just to put that into some context for everyone, since you guys launched the platform, the company has grown 2000%. Um, as the CEO, how have you managed that growth? It's been challenging, but you know, it's a great problem to have. The fact that um, we are able to assist so many individuals um, because we don't just look at our clients. Like I said, we look at the employees that we're having that impact on. And so one of the things, you know, we were able to close our seed round. So we did some, uh, a lot of hiring. And so, you know, our company went from a size of eight individuals to having uh, 23 full-time employees. Um, we have 25 people on our team. There's still some people that are working part time, but you know, that is a tremendous amount of growth in a year. And so um, it's, it's, it's difficult to onboard and get people up to speed. But the great thing about our team is that they're all passionate about the work. Uh, they're, most of them have either been involved with DEI or have their own stories to tell as far as being outed in the workplace or um, being chastised or having career problems because they took paternity leave, right? A lot of men are still shrouded in this kind of uh, shame if they take paternity leave. So everyone on our team has their own story to tell and is motivated because they understand deeply the issues that we're solving and that uh, we really have to do this all together in order to make the fundamental shifts and changes that are needed in corporate America. 
I know that you guys have enterprise software, which is very different from having a product, but it's a similar story to what we've been hearing from a lot of black entrepreneurs that suddenly the focus became, you know, on buy black and support black business. And they were like, we're sold out. Our website is crashing. Like we can't fulfill orders. It's a good problem to have, but it's still a problem. So, you know, has like, have you guys been struggling to keep up with demand during this time? So we are actually in the process of raising our our Series A because we need to keep hiring people and growing and scaling, which is, again, a good problem to have. But, you know, it has been challenging on our team. Being an entrepreneur itself is very taxing. Um, And when you think about the struggle that everyone's had during the pandemic with homeschooling or dependent care or whatever, right, that a lot of the support systems are not there. And so many members of our team have young children. And so we've really been cognizant of the fact that, okay, we know everyone is working additional hours. We're all strained. We have more work than we know what to do with. Um, And then we're also, you know, several members of our team are trying to teach their kids Zoom lessons on, on, you know, on, on, on their computer and, and handle that at the same time. So, you know, we've tried to really be intentional about asking people to speak up, to have self-care, to continue to um, try to create some type of social environment, because with the remote work, a lot of it becomes meeting, 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 and I have no time to, uh, you know, make myself lunch or to even use the bathroom. And so it's, it's like, how do we allow people, uh, especially when they're doing DI work, which is emotionally draining as well, right? Make sure that they are taking care of themselves and um, uh, having that sense of, of wellness with respect to their work as well. So, you know, as, a, as an organization at Canaries, we don't have an amount of uh, PTO or off time. We tell people, take care of yourself, you know? So if you need to have a day off, have a day off. Um, so those are the kind of things and the policies we've set up to ensure that employees are able to um, ensure that they are taking care of their well-being. We can't talk about equity without addressing funding because Black women entrepreneurs are woefully underfunded. Um, you mentioned that in January you closed on your $3 million seed round, which brought your total funding to $4.6 million and which made you part of a very small group of Black women that have raised multiple millions of dollars. What was your experience like fundraising as a Black woman? So it's challenging. Um, It's very challenging. And, you know, I would say, especially before the kind of awakening around DEI, people didn't even believe in the problem that we were trying to solve. I remember being in a meeting with a VC and they said, you really think Black people have a different experience in the workplace? And I was like, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And so um, at least we don't have that challenge anymore of trying to convince people of the problem in the market. I think they now see that, but it is very difficult, you know, and there's many stories that other Black founders um, share as far as we all have that same experience of, you know, a lot of the metrics and milestones that folks say you got to hit to to raise certain amounts or, you know, this is typically what you need to show 
for a, a, a seed or a series A, we see that those aren't always the same for us. And so I think it is important to really not stop and to believe in yourself, but I think it's also important to have a support network. You know, I think one of the things that's really come out of everything we've seen since George Floyd's death as well, like you said, not only the support of Black founders and entrepreneurs, but we've seen a lot of communities that have been set up that we weren't as organized before. Um, you know, when I think of organizations like Goody Nation, you know, so we had our Google is one of our investors. We were part of Google's Black uh, Accelerator for Black founders. And so part of that, you know, they invested in a lot of Black entrepreneurs. And one of the best things they did was uh, create uh, kind of a community going forward where it wasn't just the money. They partnered with Goody Nation, which is an organization out of Atlanta. And we were able to connect with other Black founders, talk about the challenges, help support each other, help give resources. Um, and that has continued since that funding where we meet on a weekly basis in those standups. And so I think that is really one of the blessings in disguise is that we've been able to create this incredible community to support each other. Um, because I think sometimes, uh, you know, I, I hear people say, well, do you think that there's a competition between black founders? And I'm like, absolutely not. I've never experienced that. What I've experienced is a tremendous amount of support and people being able to say, hey, you know, um, let me help you with this digital marketing or this is who we use or this is how we have been able to uh, kind of handle these issues around, um, uh, you know, hiring technical talent or, or so be it. So I think having that community, having those people that you can talk about, even it's if it's the, hey, you know, we don't know how we're going to handle the fact that we haven't gotten paid in X amount of months. And my spouse is upset because, you know, they don't understand my entrepreneurial journey. I think you got to have that. You got to have this support because there's so many sleepless nights, hard, hard days are going to be there no matter how successful your company is. And it's so tremendously important that you have a support system while you are building your company. That narrative about Black founders drives me crazy. It's like the stereotype that Black women can't get along or that there's always competition. And I talk to Black women entrepreneurs like all day long, and they always say that, you know, other Black women entrepreneurs are like one of the biggest tools in their toolbox in terms of support or information. It's just Absolutely. impossible. I, you know, there's so many Black founders that will, will see opportunities for each other and they'll send it. Hey, Mandy, I don't know if you saw this. This looks like this would be a good fit for Canaries or, you know, here's a grant. Here's an accelerator. They're constantly sending things and we're constantly trying to ensure that we are letting each other know of those opportunities to support and grow and scale our companies. So absolutely agree with you. Well, thank you so much, Mandy for sharing your small business success story. Everyone out there, please take a look at the company website, canaries.com, and that's K-A-N-A-R-Y-S. You can also follow them on Facebook or Twitter at Canaries Inc. Check out the podcast channel on blackenterprise.com to find Sisters Inc. and other podcasts from Black Enterprise writers, editors, and experts. Be sure to subscribe to Sisters Inc. on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or YouTube. 
And if you like what you hear, show us your love by leaving a five-star review or put a sister on and spread the word. This is Elisa Gums with Sisters Inc. for Black Enterprise. Thank you for listening. 